sins. And absolutely, that's true. But it's not the whole story. Jesus died for our sins so that we might have right relationship with God and bring glory to him. And therefore have the life that we've been created to live. It's all about God. Everything about Easter is drawing us closer to himself. And we get sometimes stuck thinking about us. That's why one of the great things we can do as a church family, that's why we had uh, Julie David share, and what a powerful testimony of a woman and a family that is passionate about planting a church where none is. And we are so thankful to have her with us and thankful for their work as it continues. But we also get to send people out to make disciples of all nations. Sometimes that's just north of the border. And uh, as you've heard me say before, before I became, uh, as somebody told me on Friday night that I'm looking more mature now, before I became mature, which is still open to wide debate, uh, you're, you're not quite awake yet, <laughs> but uh, I got to be part of one of the most amazing missions ministries I've ever seen anywhere in the world, and I've been able to travel, because it's a ministry that invests in trains and equips high school students to then go out and make disciples of others. And the ministry is require, is reliant upon them. Very little is done by the adults. These students are trained and given the tools to go share the love of Christ with those in places like Kaiping and Zhongshan and beyond. And so we get to send out a team that heads out. When do you head out, King? Thursday. So they head out Thursday. They have a three-hour practice, their first real day of holiday. And what are they doing? They're spending three hours preparing and practice. So we're going to commission that team today. So we're going to call them up, whoever's here. Uh, I know the leader and another leader are here somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure if any others are. Okay, we got one. Got a few there. Come on. Come on. We can't pray for you if we don't know who you are. Well, we can still pray, but it's better to see some faces. Doug Wallace is also headed on that trip. I think he's upstairs helping with kids today. Uh, And so we are very much looking forward to how God continues to work. A A side note, you'll notice there is a family here. Let that be a subtle hint that if you have children, might be a great idea for you to consider getting involved in GID. Or there's other opportunities. My family will head to Nanjing in two weeks to go spend time with some uh, Christian workers there as well. So there's lots of opportunities. But the compelling call is that we make disciples of all nations. We have been made new in Christ, right? Yeah, we sure about that? Yeah. If so, why wouldn't we invite others into the same life that we have now been given? So I'm going to ask the elders to come up and we're going to pray for this team. Uh, so come on up, uh, elder. We got, I forgot they're all on holiday. So we got two of them here. Pastor Dan is coming. Uh, Dr. Chung is coming. Albert, would you join us as well? He, he's a retired elder, but you, you never get out of the job. We don't let you quit. We just don't make you go to as many meetings. So, but it is a wonderful thing that a church can send out. And so we are a church body today committing to pray for each one of these plus how many others? There's 18 going? Uh, total of about 25. 25 going on this trip. Let that sink in. 25 mainly teenagers going on this trip and we are thrilled. So I, I am going to pray. Uh, elders, if you would just lay hands on those that are close to you and church, Pray for them. That's Thursday through next Monday, right? Uh, the, 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 Thursday, to 
Thursday to Sunday. And one thing you need to know, they will be busy. There is no downtime to go see the pandas or anything like that. They are teaching and serving every moment of every day. So keep them in your prayers and look forward to how God uses them. Father, thank you so much that we are invited to partner in the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised victoriously that we might have life. And so we pray for each one of these and the rest of the 25 as they prepare to serve by proclaiming your great name. Lord, we pray that you would calm their hearts and that you would guide their mouths. May the meditation of their heart and the words of their mouth and the actions of their hands be pleasing to you and useful for equipping other saints for works of good service. Would you build your church in these difficult and strategic areas that others may come to know the reason that we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this team. Would you be glorified in them and through them? For your great name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Give them a hand and do pray for them. It's Easter Sunday, right? Easter Sunday means a couple of things. You expect me to be more interesting as one of them, but much more it means that we come together to celebrate who Jesus is, why he came, why he is still alive, and what our response is to that. And today... We have heard the gospel proclaimed in numerous ways. We've heard people enthusiastically say, yes, I am a child of God and I want the world to know. What better testimony than that? Amen? Good. Oh, by the way, he is risen. risen Good, you're getting it. Then we heard from Julie on behalf of her family that they are in a strategic area where the gospel has not gone and they are giving their very lives to tell the story of Jesus to those who have never heard. Amen to that. And we celebrate with them. We have sung, thine is the glory. We have sung the majesty of our God and our King who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. But I want you to think about the significance of Easter. Because if I ask you, and now you've been prompted a little bit, one, you know that Easter is ultimately about the glory of God, not just our forgiveness of sins. That's a result. But when we begin to think about Easter, we think about all the things that happened, like it's a past tense thing. And it's not intentional, It's just, you know, once a year we get really excited about this and and that's what we think about. And and by the way, that's great. But see, Easter isn't past tense. He is present tense. Let me say that again. Easter is not past tense. Yes, the resurrection only happened once for Jesus, but he is alive and well. We will finish today by singing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. The thing about Easter that I think often gets lost on Easter Sunday is the very relational nature of who God is and what that does for us. And as I spoke this message yesterday, it's a little different today. So if you were here yesterday, I tried to change it up so you're not bored. Excuse me. But as I, as I presented yesterday, I, I wanted us to consider a couple of questions and, and frame how we look at Easter. The first one of those questions 
If you're honest with yourself, you don't have to raise your hands because that might be uncomfortable. But many of us, whether we believe in Jesus or not, this question is 100% universal. Have you ever struggled with self-confidence or some call it self-esteem or feeling valuable? Have you ever struggled with feelings of what we call inadequacy? Anybody ever struggle with that? Just give me a head nod, real quick one. I won't admit it. Few of you have. The rest of you, you're too, uh, too insecure to tell us that. So, uh, therefore, yes, you probably have struggled with it. That's the first question. Interestingly, the very message of Easter says we don't have to be afraid. And we'll look at that. The second question I wanted to ask is one that goes a little further. Have any of you, and maybe I'm the only one, and by the way, you need to understand one thing about me right from the beginning today. I am not perfect. I continue to be a selfish sinner saved by a mighty God that by his grace I have been saved and redeemed. But sometimes I still choose myself and the idolatry of self over God's ways. And so I am continuing to grow and learn. And I pray that we can learn and grow together as the body. But sometimes that means even relationships in my life don't go as smoothly as they should. My question to you is similar. Have you ever been involved in a relationship, whether it be friend, family, coworker, employer, employee, that's broken, that there has been hurt, that there has been wounds from others or that you have placed on others by your actions? Have you ever struggled at any time in your life with broken or hurt relationships? If we're honest with ourselves, most of us can probably at one time or another think, yeah, I have. You want to know how to test that theory? Try to think if there's anybody in your life that you would see coming into these halls today and say, oh, I hope I don't have to talk to them. You got a broken relationship, if that's the case. And there could be many other ways we look at that. It can be a spouse. It can be a child at times. And so how do we reconcile that and keep that word reconcile in your mind because it's key to the Easter message. So how do, we, how do we reconcile the fact that sometimes we don't feel good enough? How do we reconcile the fact that there are broken relationships all around us? And how do we reconcile our very purpose? Because many of you are some of the hardest working people I have ever met. Hong Kong loves to talk about how they work early hours that go late into the night. Uh, We are a fast-paced culture. We work hard. We do everything we can to, to have the best job, to get the best level of success and to do the right thing. And then we push our kids to make sure they get the great, best marks, the best exam scores, the best schools they are in so that they can then go to the best universities so that they can get the best job so everything is comfortable. But somehow in there, have we ever stepped back for a second to think, There's got to be more than this. Because at the end of every day, if the first thing you say is, I'm busy or I'm tired. Now, sometimes you are tired. The pace of life. For a pastor, this week, really busy. Oddly enough. So that's okay. There are seasons of life that are full. But when we pride ourselves on the fact that, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so tired. Have we missed the very joy that Jesus considered when he went to the cross on our behalf. 
I want to look at those questions today, and I don't want you to listen to my logic or to my answers. I want to look at a bunch of scripture. I'm going to put them on the screen. I'm going to read them, and I'm going to reflect. And you're going to think, wow, Mike is saying surprisingly little today because God's word can show us and can point us to the very definition of Easter, the reconciliation of man before God through Jesus Christ for all eternity. When we understand that, our self-worth isn't about what job we have, how great our children are. Your children are wonderful. I love them. But they're not God. Nor do we have to worry about how to reconcile ourselves to one another because we know of what Christ has done for us. And when we get that perspective, it changes how we look at others. Easter is relational. And I want you to remember four C's today, and we're going to look at those. Of course, if, you know, my presentation just got stuck, so we'll do it this way. Technology's great, isn't it? That's why you, you always have a backup called paper, because some things don't go the way they're intended. So excuse me for a second. If everything was working, and if I could ask Pastor Dan to go see if we can have another remote somewhere that might work, because this one doesn't seem to be. If we were looking, you would see an image. And you know what? This works. Okay, you see that image of the cup and the bread? Okay, great. I want you to consider that and think about the cup. Because Jesus made some statements that were very interesting about a cup when he was preparing to go to the cross on behalf of mankind in obedience to God. Remember, he was doing this because God sent his son, his only son, to bear our sins so that they don't have to be counted against us. Okay? And in so doing, right before Jesus is taken to be crucified, he goes a little farther in the Garden of the Gethsemane, and hopefully soon you'll be able to... You know what? I can do this. I'm going to walk in. It's, it's not the best, but oops, never mind. I can't do that. We are working here. I want you to see these verses. And so if you'll be patient with me, we can make this work, except for when it doesn't. I want you to see the truth and the agony of what Jesus pr- prays. Okay, everything is just going awesome today. Satan does not want us to hear this message. Jesus begs out, cries out to God. If you want to learn how to pray, start with looking at John 16 and 17. It is a powerful look at how we can pour our hearts out to God and honor Him and depending on Him. But He prays, Lord, if this cup can be taken from me, please let it be. But not my will be done, but yours. Think about that for a second. Jesus, the Son of God, he didn't give up being God when he came to earth. He just chose not to exercise his full Godness. And so he's acting as a human, knowing in all his perfection and all his glory that he is going to suffer undeservedly. And what does he say? He says, if this cup could be taken from me, please let it. Because none of us would choose to go through what he was about to deal with. Yet, he did it. And look at what he says. Not my will be done, but yours. God, your way is the best way. I trust you. Later on, 
he's talking. Actually, this happens even before. And this idea of the relational covenant of what Jesus has done through the Easter celebration and the week of the Passion. He's, he's prayed out. He said, God, if this doesn't have to happen, that'd be great. But if it does, your will be done. You be glorified in this. But I, I want us to think about the perspective Jesus has as he walks toward this because he's sitting down with dinner with his disciples. He has just washed their feet, something only a servant would do, something that most of us, if we take off our shoes, we're not going to want to look at each other and say, let's clean those things. But Jesus did that out of love. And then he looks at his disciples, his friends, his apprentices, And he says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And they have been. They've been walking with him. The very definition of what a rabbi did when he had disciples, because there were many Jewish rabbis at this time. But as we look back at Jewish tradition, what the rabbis did is the disciples were known to walk so closely to their teacher that the literal dust of the feet that was brought up by the teacher as they walked in front would get on the disciples, that they would carry his dust with them. Jesus is saying, not only am I your teacher, not only am I your rabbi, I'm your friend. And he says, greater love has no one than this, that they would give up their life for their friend. Now, I would love to say I'm an unselfish person, but deep in the recesses of my sinful being, I find it hard to think about suffering like Jesus did because of my love for you. That would be a tough call. I could either let you suffer or me suffer. And there would be a part of me that would really wrestle with that. I'm not going to lie, because in myself, I like to be comfortable, don't you? Jesus did, didn't consider comfort something to be held on to. But he said, you're my friends. And he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. We who believe on Christ have been chosen by him for such a time as he's placed us here in this world. And he says, I've appointed you to do something, not just accept the greatness of my gift, which is coming, but to bear fruit. Later on, he gave the great command and the great commission. But he gives us a command here. And obedience to Jesus is amazingly simple. This friendship with God, we we add all sorts of hoops to jump through. It's really quite simple. It's four words. One of them is even repeated. Love God, love others. You want to please God? You want to know who you are? Jesus says, as he's preparing to die the most gruesome death we could possibly imagine, he says, this is my command. Love each other. My death, my resurrection are relational. They are showing you how important it is to love God and love one another. Later on, Jesus would go on to tell us that by this you'll know my, you are my disciples, by your love for each other. The cup, the new covenant in my blood, Jesus said, is for the forgiveness of sins. When our sins are forgiven, we are set free, right? We are free of the bondage of all that has held us down. I have children. Most of you know that. And sometimes my children do things that are less than respectful. 
And recently one of them had, had treated their mother in a way that was very disrespectful. Uh, and we can say, yeah, they're just kids and that's great, but it wasn't acceptable behavior. And my wife was considering, how do I respond to this? How can I help them understand not just that this was wrong, but that there is the gospel in what has happened here? And our child basically said things like, I, I hate you, mom. I wish you weren't my mom. All of these things, which when you're that age, they are said not realize the weight of those. And my wife, with wisdom that I can only say came from the Lord, looked at that child and said, do you know what a hammer is? You guys know what a hammer is? We don't have to build too much in Hong Kong, but most of us know what a hammer is, okay? It's what you pound a nail into. And then what do you use a hammer for? What I just said, to pound a nail into something, correct? We often don't think about our actions as having consequence beyond ourselves. But as the story went and the discipline and teachable moment happened, uh, Melissa continued and she said, think about it like this, find my heart. And the child knew where her heart was. And she looked at him and said, imagine pounding a nail into my heart over and over again. And she said, that's what your words feel like. And, and she looked, what do you do when you need to take a nail out? And the child said, well, you pull it out. And Melissa so rightly and, and so from the Lord said, and what's left? And obviously a child at that age says blood, which is true. Blood is spilled out by our wounds. By our wounds we are healed. By his wounds we are healed. But she said, there's also a hole that is left in my heart because of the actions and the words that have been spoken. And in that moment, it became abundantly clear to my child. Now, that doesn't mean they'll be perfect tomorrow. This is a sanctifying process. It takes work and time. But in that moment, the child understood that something's got to fill those holes. Something's got to restore that relationship back to the way God has created it to be. And false, I'm sorry, mommy, don't cut it. False promises don't cut it. The only thing that can fill the holes left by sin is relational love given through grace. You want to fill the holes in your heart that have come from wounds of others? Don't expect them to treat you fairly. Give away love that comes from God our Father through Jesus the Son and let Him fill those holes with the friendship of God through the spilling of his blood. You see, we nailed him to the cross by our sins. That's truth. There's no debate of that. By our sins, he was sent to the cross. But out of his great love, the sin that marks us and condemns us to death can be washed clean. The brokenness of our lives that we don't feel good enough anymore is taken away and replaced with the very love of God. This is my commandment, he tells his people. Love each other and know that my grace is sufficient to fill every one of those wounds in your heart because I have taken it on myself. And when he took it on himself, he did so in a gruesome fashion. He comes with the cup of covenant of friendship and he moves on toward the cross in the most painful way because Jesus, at the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we say there's four things that must be known about Jesus. He is our Savior. 
He has saved us from our sins. He is our sanctifier. He has set us apart, set us apart for a life that is holy and righteous for all eternity. He is our healer. The wounds that have been inflicted physically and emotionally and spiritually will be healed for all eternity when Christ returns. There will be no more sadness, no more death, no more sickness, no more weeping and no more tears. And I can't wait. And the final one is he is our coming king. You go back to King David and King David was reminded and promised that in due time a Messiah would be given in the line of David that would be a king and that the governments would fall on his shoulders. And then you move forward and this king was brought last week, seven days ago, six days ago really, in to Jerusalem on the foal of a donkey where palms were laid down and people were saying glory to God in the highest and they were praising their king six days later this is what happened oh this is Palm Sunday they shouted Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord again remember this is about the glory of God you want right relationships it starts with where our focus is upward Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Reminding us of the prophecy that came so long before. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And in one day, everybody seemingly got that Jesus is our Messiah. He came to make wrongs right, relationships that were broken, be restored, and everything the way it was. Six days later, this happened. Five days later. The soldiers led Jesus away into the, temple, into the palace that is called the Praetorium. By the way, side note, remember our talk of Philippians, how in the whole palace guard all knew who Jesus was because of what Paul had done in the Praetorium. Amazing how God's word is consistent and continued to be proclaimed even when we mess it up called together a whole company of soldiers, a lot of fighting men. And let's think for a second. Romans were really good at a few things. The Greeks like to sit around and think. The Romans like to make sure you followed their laws. And when you didn't, they were really good at killing you. And it wasn't quick. There was nothing simple about these professional torturers. They knew exactly how to make you suffer on your way to death. In fact, we're told that Pilate, when he heard that Jesus was already dead, was surprised because the process was supposed to take longer. He died quickly. But here... Five days on from Jesus being trumpeted into town, Hosanna, our king is here. We read they put a purple robe on him. Purple, color of royalty, color of kings, expensive. Again, tie into Philippians, Lydia, a merchant of purple. Then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. Now, in this movement of Easter, the relational story, think for a second about how Jesus suffered. Do you know what a rose bush is? Husbands, hopefully at one point in your life, you have given your wife roses. I expect that of us as men. In so doing, hopefully you stripped those thorns off before you handed it to her. Because if she grabs one rose stem, she will bleed. Because the rose thorn is an amazing thorn. It is little, but it is strong. Is it not? 
Now, likely, the thorns that were used to place on Jesus' head were very similar to that. So go ahead and imagine for a moment that those have been dried out and then bent and weaved, woven in and out and put on Jesus' head. Most of us, if we think, we don't spot pause here and really think about how this looked. They didn't just nicely, Keith, I'm going to use you an example. They didn't just go to him, hail king of the Jews and drop it on him. We could handle that, couldn't we? Even though it might be uncomfortable, it wouldn't be bad. But in this Easter relational story, what happened next was they went to Jesus, hail king of the Jews, and they stuffed it down on him as much as they could. Some theologians and historians say that they expect that the thorns went all the way in till it was scraping just on bone and ripping the skin away. The crown that Jesus was, that had Jesus placed on was a crown of thorns. Our king suffering so much. And if you've ever had a head wound, you know they bleed. So he would have blood coming all down his face, his back, his neck, everywhere. The pain would be excruciating because from my understanding, there are a lot of nerve endings in your head, right? It hurts when you bonk your head. Imagine that staying on consistently and Jesus willingly allowing that to happen being tortured and broken and sacrificed for our sins, that relationships might be restored. He went through such searing pain so that we didn't have to. Not only that, he was sent to be flogged. We don't often think of the word flogged anymore. We just kind of think, oh, that sounds bad. Well, yeah. By the time he was done being beaten and whipped with the, the um, coat and tails, basically, it was a whip that had 7 to 13 arms on it that would each have a, 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 a sharp end to it that when they hit the skin, and I'm sorry to gross you out, but you need to understand the reality of what it cost Jesus that we might be free and not face this. But when it went into his back, it would stick, much like a fish hook would. And then pulling out, it would pull skin and anything underneath and the flesh out from Jesus. So that by the time he had been whipped and tortured, he would have had very little, if any, skin and flesh left on his back. Then, as if that wasn't enough, Remember, this is a relational story. Don't lose sight of the plot as I describe this. But we need to understand why this happened. Then they took him to a cross that they had made him carry. They laid him on it. Like they didn't have the top part that we often see today. Usually it was just a T. But they put him on that. He has no flesh on his back. It is wood. Grasp that a crown of thorns on his head, and they drive nails into four tender spots in his bone. Two on his wrists and two on his ankles. Now, we think nail. Oh, I've got little nails. Uh, you know, that might work. No, these would likely, if you're, if you're familiar with the term, would likely be about the diameter of a railroad tie. Likely nine inches. Uh, I don't know what that is in centimeters. I apologize. But it's roughly about that long and that wide, and they drove them into Jesus. This isn't even questioned. The history of this part is not questioned. Jesus was hung on a cross by nail. 
And then while he's up there to just check on him, they stick a sword or a, a, a spear in his side and blood and water flows out. And he did all of that dying, bearing the burden of our sin. Sin causes death. We believe this to be true. We have seen it time and again. There's even uh, um, psychological studies that show that when we suffer and struggle in relationships, it affects our very health and well-being and causes increased levels of sickness and strife. And yet Jesus took all of that sin of all humanity and bore it on himself so much so that he said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, my dad, why have you forsaken? If you don't understand forsaken, forgotten me. Because in that moment, God the Father could not look at Jesus the Son because he was bearing our sins. We didn't deserve it, but Jesus hanging on the cross because of what we have done by choosing our selfish pride over the great life that God has given us to live. We have missed the mark. And instead of having to pay for it ourselves, Jesus went and said, I will do this for them. And right before he died, he looked out with what little strength he must have had left and said again in this moment of relationship, Father, Give them everything you've got because I hate them. That's the right answer, I think. That's the right justice answer, don't you? We, we deserve to suffer for what we did to Jesus. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't know what they do. So I'll take this. I got this. And as he breathed his last, he said those famous words, It is finished. The debt has been paid. The cup of friendship was given. The crown of our king, only a righteous king could pay the price of our sin. And he went to the cross. He committed no sin and no deceit was filed on him. They insulted him. They humiliated him in every way they could. Remember, a king is one that should be revered and honored. Even if we disagree with their politics, we're still, if we meet uh, C.Y. Lung, we should still treat him with respect, should we not? Uh, There's some doubt there. But yes, we should because he is our authority. If I go back to America and I am invited to sit down with President Barack Obama, I should revere and respect him because God has placed him in that position. I should not be hurling insults at my king. But see, that's it. Barack Obama is not my king. Siwai Lung is not my king. Xi Jinping is not my king. Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, is my king. He is my savior. And Jesus went to the cross bearing our sins in his body on the tree so that just like we celebrated over here, this is great. This is why we do baptisms on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Going back to Isaiah. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, the holes that sin have placed in us are filled with the love and the grace and the justice of God. Isn't that amazing? 
Nobody can think this stuff up. This is like the greatest story ever told because it's God, the relational God, looking down with mercy and justice and saying, a price has got to be paid and I will pay it through my son. He went to the cross. King of the Jews, they said. He can't save himself. Come down and those that were crucified with him mocked him consistently except for one. And then it went on. But see, the thing is, and we will come and we will spend a lot of time in this passage in a few weeks when I return. But Paul, considering the cross, says, okay, you get the story. You're all with me. You understand what Jesus went through so far, right? Any question that Jesus died a horrible death on our behalf? I hope not. I want to make sure I've been clear because it's not about me. But then Paul in his audacious, blunt nature, says, your attitude should be just like Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Gets really personal when we start thinking about that. Because we know Jesus and what he did, right? We just talked about it. And then Paul has the very courage to say, your attitude should be like Jesus. Well, what do you mean like Jesus? Well, as I've already said, who, being in very nature God, Jesus, fully God and fully man, how does that work? Because he's God. He didn't consider equality with God something we grasped, but he made himself nothing. He chose not to exercise his godness in all of its fullness. He still performed miracles on behalf of God for the glory of God. Again, all about him, but he still walked this earth as a human. Think about it. He went through puberty. When he was a baby, he cried. When he grew up, he struggled. He had all sorts of the normal issues, but in that, he did not sin. Is that not amazing? Most of us probably, if we are honest with ourselves, have struggled getting to church this morning and might have some confession to do. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Okay, now let's back up and look at culture today that says everything should be about us. One, if we dare say that Christ is the only way to God, we are being intolerant, right? Because it's about us and I want to be comfortable. Jesus didn't come to make people comfortable and to show them how to be comfortable. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to God except through me. And in so doing, he took on the very nature of a servant. Which for a man that struggles with wanting everything to be fair and just, this is tough. Because sometimes I look around and think, yeah, they deserved what's coming to them. Jesus looked around and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he served them ultimately to the point of death on a cross. And then, even as a man, he was obedient. And Paul's telling us our attitude should be like that. Some of us suffer. Earlier this week, 100, I think the number is now 147, University students at a Christian university, therefore we suspect that many of them were Christians, were killed. We know what Boko Haram has been up to, targeting villages where people proclaim the name of Christ. And they suffer and they are killed for the name of Jesus. And many of them, as we hear story after story, are saying, that's okay, may God be glorified even in my death. We think of what ISIS, ISIL, IS, the Islamic, whatever we call it this week, they are hunting Christians. 
we live in dark times. But our God, our King, our Savior understands what we have gone through. And he said, in this world, you will have trouble. We praise the Lord for the freedoms that we still have right here. But we will have troubles. Maybe your families don't understand why we would follow a Jesus that would give himself for us. Maybe they just need to be told. Maybe there are people that make fun of us because we choose to love rather than defend ourselves. We choose to stand in the gap so that others might know him rather than stepping on people to get higher up the corporate ladder. But Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant. And then he said, go and do likewise. Love each other. Love those. If you're persecuted, turn the other cheek. If they hit you on one side, give them the other one. Because it's not about us. It's about pointing people to the glory of God. The cross lets us see that we can serve even to the emotion of great suffering and great pain because Jesus already did it for us. And he said, I've got you. Fear not. I have overcome the world. You might suffer for a little while, but it'll be nothing when you get to eternity and see that he is king. And this is only the beginning. Because that's... What came next? The Marys, the others, they got to the tomb. (laughs) And the angel looks at them. And in Mark's account, it's amazingly simple. He says, the man you're looking for is not here. He was crucified. He was dead. But he is risen. He is risen. Okay, I've put you to sleep a little bit, so let's try this again. He is risen. He is risen and then look at what we are invited to understand next about how this works. And this is how we finish when we understand the relational pattern of Easter. Because of what Jesus has done, that he is risen. Squeeze that one in. So from now on, because of Jesus and who he is, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That person that has wounded you, say, God, give me the eyes of Jesus to see them with your love, your grace. Help me to love them the way you loved me when I nailed you to a cross. You got that? When we look at people that have hurt us, we can respond in anger or we can respond like Jesus. Those are the only two choices you've got. And by the way, silent protesting is still anger. It's just inside and eventually you blow up. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, no, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Is that not amazing? We don't have to live according to the rules of this world. Yes, you have to follow the laws. Don't misunderstand. But we are not here to just get money, get success, and make sure everybody thinks we're awesome. We are here to make sure everybody understands that Jesus Christ is king and he is awesome. And he deserves to be honored and glorified for the glory of God the Father. It's about him. And it is so freeing when we realize that our perspective is not on us. It's on him. You want to deal with the struggles in your life? Ask God to let you see the world through the eyes of Jesus, through the eyes of love. And then the problems that you wrestle with will see insignificant because you see what Christ has done for you on behalf of God the Father. You wrestle with identity 
as we struggle and we say, Lord, help me see the world as Jesus did, even on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you look around and you struggle. Lord, I have done so much. I don't deserve you. You are so right. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. He said, you don't deserve me. That's why it's a gift. That's why it's grace. And I'm giving you something. And this is what he gave you. All this is from God who, and I told you I was coming to it, reconciled us to himself. We were the broken ones. We in sin are the ones that have broken the relationship and are destined to death and in eternity in hell. But God, through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. If you don't understand what reconciliation, it means making right a relationship that was wrong. That makes sense? Correcting a broken relationship and building it back together. That can only be done through the love of God. Reconciling the world to himself, not, here we go, and this is where it gets really personal and I apologize because I might step on toes. If Jesus didn't count our sins against us, how dare we count the sins of others against them? You with me? People will hurt you, I promise. If you know me long enough, I will probably disappoint or hurt you. And I cannot speak on your behalf, but I can say that if you hurt me, I have no business... I have business dealing with it with you. But I can't hold that against you. Because Jesus didn't hold it against me. And by him I have been set free not to be bound by sin or the brokenness of relationships. I can look at you, I can be honest with the hurt. And I can say, but I love you because Christ first loved me. The ministry of reconciliation made complete at the tomb. Because it's empty. Our relationship with God the Father has been made perfect through Jesus the Son. And this is an amazing bit. You see it next. Oh, sorry, got too far. Because here's how it works. You want to fix broken relationships in any life? It's right here. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So that means that if we know who we are in Jesus... We are his ambassadors. We are called to go out and proclaim him and make sure people know who he is. That's our role. As if God were making his appeal through us. That he's inviting us to say, God loves you. Would you believe in him who gave himself up for you for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. This is not rocket science. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And I love this because we struggle. I told you I'd come back to identity. In Jesus Christ, if you have believed in him as your Lord and Savior, it's right there, that bottom bit, why Easter happened. To bring glory to God the Father that we might become the righteousness of God. What do you mean, Mike? Because I am not righteous. You're right. Romans 3. There is none righteous. No, not one. Yeah, we are all failures. How does that make you feel about your self-confidence? But God. made himself nothing, bore our sins on a cross and reconciled those that would believe in Jesus to be complete, to be whole, and to be invited into eternity with him. 
that we are the very righteousness of God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We wear around him that when God sees those that have called on the name of Jesus, he sees holy people. We are not perfect. We will be when we are glorified with him for eternity. But while we walk this earth, we are clothed with the righteousness of God. Our identity is his, made in his image, fearfully and wonderfully. For you that have believed in Jesus Christ, the response is simple. Will you give away that ministry of reconciliation? the relational nature of the cup, the crown, the cross, and the completed work of Christ. For those that have never really paid attention to this message, you know what? If you think about it, there probably is more to life. That maybe you can't fix everything on your own. And the word of God teaches, and we have seen it to be true time and again in so many different ways that letting him transform your life to one that has meaning that is bigger than ourselves is the most greatest way to live that washes us clean, doesn't hold our sins, our brokenness, our hurt against us and sets us free to bring glory to one that is bigger and better than us and to live on this earth with purpose that is so much better than a retirement account. Purpose that lasts forever. Jesus told us that the treasures I have will never fade or never perish. And I would invite you to do that today, to say, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And he died for my sins and offered my forgiveness with his life. And I believe. And we're told that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and he'll forgive us. It's that simple could be adopted into the family of God. So let me pray. Lord, I thank you that you are a relational God, that you who knew no sin gave your sin to be sin for us so that we might be forgiven for all eternity, that we might have meaning in life that is bringing glory to you and bringing honor to you and that brings purpose to this world. So Lord, may we celebrate Easter knowing that we have been set free and that you are most glorified in us when we are satisfied in you. In your name I pray, amen. Let's respond by singing the song, Because He Lives.